0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1468 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Prize If you're a first time user, you can have 100% is a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizefix.com, promo code locked on. I also want to tell you at the top of the podcast to please. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts and make us your first listen each and every day on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, YouTube, etc. And I'm joined on this podcast by my friend Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops and ATL Alone 29, actually part one of two with Glenn, a fun conversation twists and turns glenn is fantastic with the analytics side of things x's and o's etc and a fun hawks talk dating back to the playoffs looking ahead at what's to come and all of that fun stuff in between after a short delay to hear from our introduction to the podcast i'll be back with myself and glenn willis you are locked on hawks your daily atlanta hawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day day I'm joined once again by frequent guest of this podcast and uh, resident Hawks X's and O's expert in all kinds of things. Glenn Willis is back. Hello, sir. How are you?
1: I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me back. Look forward to uh, looking back to a playoff series that feels like it was like a month ago now. So many things have happened. Um, yeah. I don't think it was that long ago, but a chance to kind of look back with be a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's Good to kind of set the table with that. I mean, it's been more than a week now since the series ended as people are listening to this podcast and, you know, we're not quite into the meat of the off season just yet with the draft cycle. I know I I already did a a draft podcast. I talked to my friend Tower Jones on the show about some off season stuff. Like I'm kind of in the balancing mode now. It's like, you don't want to just empty the clip on off season talk (laughs) in early May. You have so long to go. And I figure it's probably worth taking kind of a, you know, a pretty sober approach and just kind of like remembering what happened in the playoff series and, how it affects the future and observations and uh, i think we've had time now to kind of study this a little bit more not that i've been watching tape non-stop of the playoff series since it ended <laughs> trying to take a little bit of a break on some level from all of that yeah. stuff but um i guess i'll just start here i know i know you and kevin Chenard, my mutual adversary talked about this on your show uh acl in 29 after the series but like you know it's been a few days now like what's sort of your top line reaction slash takeaway from what we saw because i think they were pretty competitive. That's, that's nice to see. Um, yep. Is it that, or is it like, we're, we're sort of your head at when, when I say, all right, talk, talk to me about a playoff series.
1: Yeah. So for me, I think uh, the top takeaway is that they are still pretty close offensively to being what they need to be. There's some work to do. I, I mean, most people may have seen it when I posted it, but I, I um, it took me two or three tries to get it exactly right. <laughs> if, you, if you don't use NBA.com stats where it resets your, filter every time you change anything you're gonna it's the worst it's the worst it's bad so anyway i blame that completely even though i'm completely capable of making my own mistakes and probably contributed to that a little bit but but you know they went basically from 29th and spot-up shooting efficiency sorry second and spot-up shooting efficiency to 29th that's kind of the big offensive theme across the series they still managed the last what month and a half two months to become a top five Offense again, you know, Quinn, I think, helped a little bit. I think adding a shooter like Bay uh, helped a little bit. Getting healthy kind of at the right time, you know, probably helped a little bit there too. But I, I still think you kind of look across the series and the Miami game, which still kind of feels like a series, uh, yeah. you know, when I think about it and realize like they, when they had enough shooting on the floor, they're still one of the elite offenses in the league. Can they do that consistently? The regular season ones, I think, fairly make us question like where are they from a consistency standpoint fair thing to question but I think they're closer on offense on defense they're very dependent upon putting functional defensive lineups on the floor keeping functional defensive lineups on the floor which was a struggle against that in that Boston series for example getting Murray plus bay on together rough um, you know you know any's combination of bogey plus another you know really kind of challenged defender was kind of rough where well, that worked against Miami because the Miami doesn't have the same uh sort of threatening ball movement and, you know, dribble creation and all that sort of stuff. So I still think we look at this team and think, I think the, the template is top three offense being the goal and finding a way to get good enough defensive lineups on the floor that don't sacrifice too much shooting, which was the error I think made in the, in the preseason. So you take, you take that away I and mean, be like, Dejounte had really good offensive stats across the series, mm-hmm. and he was a minus like nine or something like that, you know. And, and uh, you know, uh, and, and his own net, net rating, it, it was just kind of kind of brutal. So that the highlight to me is that they're pretty close offensively, getting the right optimization there. Defensively, there's still some work to do, and they have to do that work without, um, kind of you know, taking their offense too much, which they did this past offseason. season.
0: Yeah, I mean they they kind of overcorrected, and that, and that's we've talked about that a lot. And you know, I get the theory of what they tried to do, and you know, Murray was kind of the the way that the way that it was presented was that he was the he was the two way fix. Like he's the guy who does both for you. He's the guy who can help your defense and give you that coveted number two option. I think the number two option happened more than the defense <laughs> if you watch the team closely this year. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I'm with you. I think that. I've tried to be intentional about like really not on purpose. I mean, I'm not misleading anyone, but I, I'm pretty optimistic by what we saw in the playoffs. I think that's, that, that's a real thing. And taking a Boston team that was number one seed level. I mean, you can argue about them. They weren't, one, they weren't number one seed. They were number two seed, but they had, and, I mean, as far as like advanced analytics and stuff like that, they had the best profile on the whole league this year. They they were that good. They made it. And they maybe they lose in the playoffs or whatever, but they were healthy and playing at that level for that, for large portions of that series. And the Hawks pushed them, and that winning game five, I mean, it's it's a it's one game, granted, but to do that and win on the road there as a giant underdog, um, to the point where you know I had Boston folks saying like, hey, that that was really impressive from the Hawks. Like, to me, just kind of on a, out of nowhere, is, I, that, that's all very impressive and very good. Um, my secondary that takeaway though, and I wonder what you think. about You kind of got to, got to this too, is that the Hawks continue to have some struggles with putting out lineups that can do both, that can score. defend and that's a very simple concept but it's something you have to have at the highest levels in particular sometimes it doesn't always show up in the regular season and sometimes it does i mean people like you and i watch every single game like it does show up but in the playoffs in that you know you could say the playoff crucible however you want to say that um you can't it's harder to hide you can't have lineups that can't do both and the hawks had a lot of lineups that can't do both and i think they know it which is a positive thing now fixing it is a different thing altogether but I'm with you. I mean, it the the archetype. I think I talked about this with Tyler on my most recent podcast too. It's like, it's still when you have Trey Young. And it's not just Trey, but the way they built their roster, they have to be awesome on offense. And it's can you be good enough on defense? Um, we saw to be optimistic again, and we'll get into this, I guess, a little bit more now. We saw the offensive blueprint. They they were top five in the league after the All Star break. They scored like almost 120 points. All right, more than 120 points per, per uh, 100 possessions against Boston in the series. And, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's good. It's all very, very solid, whatever it was. Um, we saw that, and I think Trey plus shooting, at least enough shooting, is a pretty proven entity on offense. I, I have almost no doubt, and maybe you do, I have almost no doubt, as long as Trey is healthy, particularly now with Quinn, if they have just e- any kind of shooting around Trey, they're going to be very good on offense. Does, does that sound right? I mean, d- defensively, we'll get to that in a second too, but offensively, like, you kind of saw what it looks like.
1: Yeah, from a regular season perspective, yes, right? There are challenges that come in the postseason where you need more dribble creation, more secondary creation, et cetera. That, went, that got exposed against Boston for stretches. Yep. Trey, Trey, as few players than he could do, overcame that individually. Like that game five he closed out was a monumental four minutes or whatever it was uh, where he made, you know, you don't attack the last four minutes of a game. You absolutely have to win with the shot shot profile. He went after, but he's one of the guys who can do that. I guess confidently, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that's. But again, if you plan on winning two, three playoff series, maybe getting to the finals, those are not the shots you're chasing. The last four minutes of a close game, you have to win. They're just. They're just not right. Yeah. Now it was a fun thing to watch for for Hawks fans for sure, right? And it was uh, just a a, a really. Exciting, uh you know, kind of um, stretch of play for Trey and the Hawks. But when you're kind of engineering uh, or trying to engineer a team that can, you know, really, really go deep, that, that's not what you're looking for there. um I, That Hawks team, I guess that Celtics teams, that's what they had available, and Trey knocked those shots down. But but again, I think that that's important to not. I think it's important to not think, oh, we can take that to the drawing board and make that a central part of kind of our offensive plan. No, you know. But I think from a regular season perspective, if you even have a league average shooting team around Trey with the right uh, kind of functional bigs in terms of screening and rolling and diving and things like that. Now, if you can start to add in some short roll mix in the four and the five, a little ball handling in the four and the five, I think you kind of open up where you can leverage that shooting even more. And it's not just up to Trey to to generate those those perimeter shots. Um, But from a regular season perspective, I don't think there's a ton of work to do with this roster to kind of get them to the point where they uh, should be able to kind of be top five
0: today's show is brought to you by the award-winning app at price fix price is a daily fantasy made easy it's amazing i know that you will love it as well it's very easy to use win up to 25 times the money on your entries at Prize fix they have safe and fast withdrawals and every single day during the nba playoffs one Prize fix user will actually win a chance to become a millionaire One entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern time will be randomly selected each day. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six-pack flex with the following payouts. If you get all six picks correct, it's $1 million. Five out of six, $80,000. Four out of six, $16,000. Full details can be found at prizepickscom slash million. You must opt in at that link to be eligible for the million-dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you have to do is go and play like you always do at PrizePix, you can be the lucky winner. Download the PrizePix app right now. Go to PricePix.com, sign up and play Dan Fantasy Sports. If you're a first time user as well, you get 100% as a deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKED ON. Don't forget that promo code LOCKED ON at sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. So check it out now at PrizePix. And one more time, it's PricePix.com million. Personnel wise, kind of, we can always talk about that more if you want, and we, I'm sure we will. Um, about what they need and all that stuff on offense. I, I want to know, since I have you here and this is kind of much more your field than mine. I wonder what you thought of the of the plan on offense in the playoffs. I mean, obviously execution matters at the highest level all the time, but as far as like what they were running, adjustments they made over the course of the series. Um, what did you kind of what, what kind of stood out to you about like how they approached the offense, knowing that yeah, I mean the one game without Dejounte, they didn't have Dejounte. That obviously was a different animal altogether. But the other five games, they were at full strength. Granted, playing an elite defense, which you know definitely factors into your plans, like Boston is different than most defenses. They can switch, they can switch, they can play, they can do all kinds of things. That was a great test for them. But I wonder what stood out to you, like how they actually approached it beyond the personnel.
1: Yeah, so my recollection is the first two games basically Trey could get no space in the middle at all, right? Yeah, and but they would give Dejounte a bunch of space in the middle, and Dejounte carried the offense for long stretches of the first two games of the series. In time, I think what Quinn saw and put into motion was a couple things one is the celtics respected hunter as a shooter and so it didn't have to be bogey and bay and punting all that defense it could be hunter plus one of those two right and for maybe some minutes when say tatum is off you can get bogey and bay together and kind of be selective about those minutes but hunter basically got into the mix to the same level as bogey and bay for the for the most part and that that lineup or that rotation tweak allowed trade to start getting space in the middle. And he did a ton with it. As you can see, you know, if you're watching the game or just go back and look at the stats, he did absolutely a ton with it. Um, the other part was Quinn just kind of, you know, getting into the ears of guys like JC and Jalen and just being like, you got to take those shots. Like I don't care if you've missed your last three and you're not feeling good or whatever, like for this to work, for us to give trade the space he wants, you got to take those shots. Hopefully, you make some and they start reacting a little bit. You know, Jalen got much more comfortable just letting it fly. And he shot the ball overall pretty well, you know, in that series. It wasn't a big volume at all. And as the series went on, JC kind of has seemed to find a little bit of rhythm shooting the basketball, and that helped as well. So to me, the two things were recognizing: okay, the three perimeter shooters that we're using to space the floor are Bay, Bogey, Hunter. Keep two on at all times, if at all possible. And then these other guys who aren't your you know uh shooters that you want as your first choice still gotta let it fly and that kind of unlocked the space that trini needed to work because he did great work with it
0: yeah there's this interesting balance that i've found even talking to people offline versus on the podcast of like i'm not trying to act like boston is the greatest defense of all time but but it's appropriate to kind of just point out that they were facing a very 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 good defense you know what cool. i mean um, and that's what you have to strive for and another on, on, on one hand, you want to credit them and on the on the other hand for the Hawks, it's like that's it can't be an excuse if you want to get where you want to get eventually. not this year, I guess that was never really gonna happen. I don't think this year, but like that's the kind of that they're gonna to have to be. and they did figure some things out. you know it helps to have Trey at full capacity, which is where he kind of was and they, by the end of the series he was playing great. um but it's not it's never just that. I thought I was stark and I, I saw your numbers that you tweeted out um, earlier as well about like the lineup stuff and you know, Bogey had by far the best plus minus on the team uh, in the series, and that did, that that was not a surprise to see that when you watch the games. But it was stark, and it kind of goes to the point that I know you and I have both made, like how much he unlocks for them offensively, and you don't want to be so reliant on a guy like Bogey, who is at this point a supporting piece. But he, they just signed him to an extension, all those things. But uh, and it's not it's not a shock because he does he's one of the only guys on their roster that can get his own shot and, and shoot, and. And obviously, he gets guarded. Like I mean, you talked about the way Hunter was being guarded. And I agree with you. Bogey, I think, was still the guy that Boston probably feared the most as as a, yeah. as a shooter. If you watched the, I mean, is, is that, does that sound right? in What you saw because it, it yeah. stood out to me. Like they were flying at him. It, it felt like.
1: It, it, so on the move, yes. I still yeah. think Bay set like Bay is. they even has a. Bay has such a quick shot. It's so efficient that when yeah. when when they when they, when Bay's defender gets further from him. They work to get back really hard, and that that has a different impact. Bogey's defender just never gets that far from him. Okay. Bogey has to <laughs> That's move, yeah, right. So that so it's kind of a similar dynamic, but it it plays out differently. The other thing offensively that has to be pointed out, and we saw kind of more of this manifestation in Game One versus the Sixers, but Trey increasingly went after Al Horford. Like it's Game Three, Game Four, Game Five, and the Game Six. Right, he yep. wanted that switch, and he went at it. And Al and Al was a, I thought incredible defending on the interior, like helping from wherever he was, um, you know. And and the Hawks really tried to kind of switch up uh, who they were setting up where to try to kind of keep Al out of such an advantageous position. But Al on the perimeter, I mean, we're all getting older every day. We're you know, we're all <laughs> moving. I, I, my phrase is we're all marching in the same direction, <laughs> including Al Horford. It's as crazy. Uh, as, like, his productivity has been. But he's not the same perimeter. You can see right now he's not the same perimeter defender. And Trey, Trey got a lot out of that matchup. And the Sixers are trying to trying to make that happen too. And it's going to be interesting to see as that series progresses if they can kind of keep Robert Williams and Al to be more of guys that are impacting the defensive interior or if the Sixers can kind of draw Al out specifically and take advantage of him that way. But Trey wanted that, went at that a lot. And, and got a lot got a lot out of it. And that was, you know, something else that kind of just kept getting a little bit more of a priority uh, each game as the series progressed.
0: Yeah, they were targeting it. And, uh, you know, I know that not every Hawks fan loves Al for how it ended. Uh, he is kind of targeted to what you and I appreciate about basketball. So I think you're pretty high on Al. But
1: he's a fan, huge fan. but I
0: will say Al's older than I am. Which is all you need to know. I mean, he's one of the only guys in the league that's older than I am, so I have that yeah. that flag planted. He's barely older than me. We're basically the same age, but that kind of, t- <laughs> that kind of tells you uh, Al's not young. Anymore. I have to go to
1: baseball and talk about what Julio Franco did at a certain age. Yeah, I exactly. There's
0: still some guys. I mean, LeBron's older than me. There's 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 some, there's a few, just a few, right. a small handful. Uh, I don't think there's anybody that's older than you, Glenn. I, I don't want to out you on your age. I don't think anybody, I, don't, I don't think any active players are older than you. But if I, a bas- if
1: I had a basketball reference page, the, the <laughs> nickname would be Methuselah or something like that.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe Donis Haslam's getting up there and I'm not sure how, how old maybe. you Donis is at this point. He might be 107. Um, anyway. Uh, so as far as like, I think we all know the pillars here. I I, I want to take you back to an offense. Still, I won't we'll go to the defense in a second too. Um take you back to what we talked about in September, October, or even during the season, pre Quinn, uh, about like just the theory of the case with let's just say Trey and DeJounte not just those guys but like the theory of now we have this guy who can run the team when Trey sits and all of that and we don't have to do like the the 30-minute version of this conversation because there is one um DeJounte you talked about him earlier which is what remind me to ask you this I thought he played very well offensively in the series um the numbers were good when obviously he missed the one game but the numbers were good when he played offensively um he kind of did what in theory, he was asked to do when they acquired him on offense. Be the guy who can carry usage. Um, he took more threes, which I think Quinn liked and talked about a couple different times. Like, he was eager to shoot threes, which is good. Um, what did you make of the, even just the theory and execution of that, of like, you know, we have this guy we're obviously so invested in as our number two guy. It didn't always work in the, uh, during the regular season, but like, at the highest level, that's kind of why they brought DeJounte in was for this moment. And defense is another thing, but offensively, do you think it kind of, started to look like it's supposed to look?
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, the thing for me is the number one evaluation for him is when the other team is just taking Trey off the ball, you know, just not giving Trey anything that he wants, can he step in and just carry that workload and do enough? And I thought he did. Yeah. I thought he, you know, he's he's great getting in, you know, to the middle, you know, and and he was... Um, he's not the guy you want to sling up a million threes, but, I mean, again, if he's open, he's got to take that shot, and he... I thought he had good decision-making around the shot selection, just generally speaking, you know, but I mean, th- they came out, uh, you know, of the first two games, despite, you know, losing them both. I think having something to build on in large part, because DeJounte kind of gave them some juice when like nothing else was working. And I think that's kind of the first thing is, can you step in and, and get our offense to some minimum level of productivity when, you know, the other team's just really doing, everything to take, take trade away. So I, I think, think that's great, and then you know I, I, he struggled for sure in Game Six, coming off the of suspension, yeah. Like couldn't make a shot, but then you look up, you're like, oh, he's got seven assists, and so I thought he kind of adjusted even a, a little bit in that game to to recognize that there was space he was creating for others and to make simple passes and things like that. So you know, I still think from a macro perspective, there's still a lot of work to do to optimize those two, and I'm and I'd love to sit down and like really hear quinn talk honestly about what that plan is (laughs) me too Um, but because i think there's a ways ways to go but if if the first factor is can he step in and be the offensive engine when trade just can't based on what the defense is able to do i think that he's satisfied he's passed that evaluation in in my view now optimizing those two i think there's a, a quite a bit of work to do around that part
0: Today's show is brought to you by Game Time. If you've ever been trying to find tickets for a big event at the last minute, it can be really stressful, probably not the best idea for your emotions or your wallet even. After all, buy tickets should not be a hassle. And with Game Time, you have the fastest, easiest way to buy tickets for sports and music and comedy, theater, anything you want to get a ticket for. With killer deals and last minute tickets, and their best price guarantee. You can also avoid stress and getting hyped for the fun you'll actually have, which is much more fun anyway. Spring is here. and There's certainly tons of events around me in Atlanta. I'm sure there are around you as well. And with Game Time, there are flash deals and last minute tickets, and it's so easy to find and buy tickets for any kind of event you're looking for you can see images about where the tickets are actually going to be where your seats would be and they have protection if your event happens to get canceled forget planning months in advance there are T- deals on tickets right up to the day of the event at game time and the game time guarantee also means you get the best possible price if you find tickets in the same section in the same row for less game time will credit you 110 of the difference it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason you can buy tickets just a matter of seconds plus those tickets are actually sent directly to your phone to make things very easy for you download the game time app right now create an account use the promo code locked on nba for 20 dollars off your first purchase terms apply Again, create an account and redeem that promo code "Locked On NBA" for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I agree. I do want to. This is going to get into our. I, I'm doing this too way too often. I'm going to reference our friend Andrew Kelly, which I keep doing. And hello, Andrew, uh, if you're listening, um, Andrew. And I think he's right about this for the most part. Don't, I'm sure he doesn't want me to say that out loud. Um, one of his <laughs> pet peeves on this roster is the fact that they have so little. Um, Ball handling creation ability in the front court in general. And that includes Hunter. I mean, Hunter, basically the starting trio of the front court, and yeah. not having really anyone that can get their own of those guys. You know, John and his mismatch can do it, obviously. Hunter has a little bit of that off his pull up game, but you know what I mean? Generally speaking, Hunter's ball handling, Collins is a four, Capella in particular, not a great, you know, decision maker with the ball in his hands, all that stuff. Uh, I wonder what you think of what that looked like in the playoffs because it's a small sample and you talked about it earlier. You know, I thought. Collins found kind of some more rhythm and not, not only as a shooter, but it was stark to me. And I, I bet you noticed it too, that the game Murray didn't play was the game that Collins had the most juice. Um, and it was not a coincidence. I don't think. And that's, that's not a, it's not a negative about Murray. It's just that right. Murray's the guy, Murray was kind of the, the guy that really minimized John even more. And I think him not being there, there was more room to operate and more of a role for that. But I mean, I, I guess in general, I'm not telling you, I'm not asking you to, uh, you to blow up the front court because that's not going to be our job on this particular podcast. But like, does that strike you as like a potential pivot point in the future, potentially? Because, you know, I do think that against a lot of good defenses, one like Boston, having somebody there or having a little bit more collective juice, playmaking, short roll ability, however you want to put it for all these. It's There's three guys, so it's t- it's difficult to, to do that. But like, do, do, do they need more than that, generally speaking? So
1: they do, so they do, but I want to contextualize that. So both Hunter and Collins were individually negative 2.2 net net rating in the series where the Hawks were negative 4.5. Yep. when they were on together, they were negative 0.3, right? So that if you go look at okay, what what helped them be above the baseline, the team's baseline. The offense wasn't good. It was all no, it, was, it was the defense. Was yeah, all yeah, I mean, defense. I almost said it to you
0: later. I was going to say it for later, but yeah, if you look at the at the uh, individual on offs, Collins' defensive rating is like ten points better than everybody else's. He, he, he was so, so far and away but be- the best defender and like
1: yeah. every metric in the series. It was crazy, yeah. and he was really good. And you know, and but we have to. I have to kind of you know qualify a little bit that again the Celtics don't have a lot of guys who beat you with their first step, so Collins can handle that decently. Yeah. I'm not here to say. He can handle like Tatum for 30 minutes. No one's saying that, right? Um, You know, but if you need like, oh, man, I need three minutes while this guy's has foul trouble or the guy gets a breather, Collins is not going to kill you around that. You know, but for me, I I think that the issue that surfaces is this. And I, I get a little frustrated with fans. And I always try to remind myself, they're fans, right? They're looking for an ideal kind of path, an ideal future and things like that. And I feel like they're like, oh, they have to trade both Hunter and JC and get guys who can shoot and dribble and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I want to be like, uh, the defense is still going to be an issue. For me, for me, I feel like what they need is an alternative for when they get into a certain matchup where they the opposing defense, like Miami did last year, like the Celtics did in games one and two this year, where there has to be a tertiary creator of some sort, and that's typically going to land in your front court, right? There has to be some something there. Gallo did that you know, two years ago. Last year, he wasn't really the same same guy. Uh, it was during the middle of the season, but towards the end, he was really banged up and you know all that sort of stuff. But I feel like what the roster lacks is not necessarily a report. And we, and we could talk about the offseason, what we think is going to happen, <laughs> but I don't think it's like firmly has to be send out Hunter and or send out Collins, bring guys that I think it's an, an alternative. Is Jalen becoming that kind of a guy? I I don't think he's there, but I think that he, I think he is making progress towards being an alternative. Bay, as as rough as he was on defense against Boston, his ability to attack closeouts and kind of get the ball down into the paint. Yeah, they had they had to have like Quinn had to put him on the court. He had to right because if you watch Boston, it's drive and kick and drive and kick and drive and kick and kind of break you down with that. Well, the Hawks is Trey. Hunter drive and turn over, you know, or JC yeah. drive, get stuck, you know, and, and, and that, that kind of breaks down the way the typical kind of actions that you look to in the playoff setting, especially to kind of break the second, third, fourth, fifth effort, right? The Hawks can't get to that with their starting lineup on the floor. So again, my mindset is not that, Oh, we've got to send these guys out.
0: Mm-hmm. My
1: mindset is they need alternatives, right? And maybe there's some of that already on this roster, when can AJ be that in a playoff context? When can Jalen be that in a larger workload the playoff context? Probably not next year, not in the like second round of the playoffs or something like that. Or, or maybe you're just like, man, we're going to force feed those guys and get them there across the season. Or there is a big trade that you have to make where one yeah. of those guys goes out and you get that back. So it's, it's more of having options and alternatives to kind of swing in the direction you need to swing when you get to a matchup that, that creates that. So Miami couldn't really do anything this year with that because Quinn deployed max shooting and that was enough against Miami that, that was enough at times against Boston, but when Boston really had their best defensive lineups on the court, they get to their second option, their second action. And that would be about as far as they can go. And that's not going to be good enough.
0: Right. I I agree. And it, it is, there's a conversation to be had that maybe we'll say for later in the summer about like, it's very possible that the best version of this Hawks team, the contending version kind of needs AJ and or Jalen to really pop. That's right. a realistic thing to say. I don't know if, that, I don't know if it's going to happen, but as far as like their, their, their true ultimate upside and this is of course that, that's, that, that of course removes the trades and all that stuff. But like internally, those are the guys that have the upside. I think the, the Deandre Hunter offensive breakout is probably not going to happen at the highest level. I think he, he can improve things for sure, but like he's, he's 25. He's not going to suddenly become an offensive star same with, same with Collins and his role and stuff. So um, internally, it is the young guys. But they, I mean, you and I, I think, agree on this. They they were not ready. And AJ not playing is not because they don't like AJ. They they, they love AJ internally. They just knew that he was a rookie and defensively it was going to be untenable and all these things. So that's why he didn't play. And Jalen, they were they just weren't guarding Jalen. It is it is what it is.
1: And, and it's like that Jalen for who he is was so good in that series. Yeah, he
0: played he he played very well. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I totally agree. It it, it was just. And this is kind of a rabbit hole, but it was stark to me. Like you could argue, they were letting Collins and even Hunter at times. They were letting, especially Collins, shoot whenever he wanted to from three. Not not wide open. They were at least, they were at least closing out. Jalen, they they weren't even really closing out. I mean, they right. were they were really ignoring Jalen. It was there was a different kind of um, attention or not paying attention to Jalen. Of and you'll see that in the playoffs. That's one of those things that's a very scheme a right. uh, very kind of series playoff dependent thing in the regular season. I don't think you would have seen Boston be that dismissive of anyone, right. but that's one of those things about the playoffs is that you can, and you see, if you watch, I know you watch this all the time, but for, for listeners, if you watch other series, this happens all the time in different series, teams will just be like, you know what? We're not going to guard this guy anymore.
1: Yeah. And we'll and- come, on, come on Looney. Like I, I put a play from that game, one of that Lakers warriors, where, the Warriors do something. The Hawks maybe have to do. The Warriors lifted Looney up, got him into a DHO, and created a shot because AD was down basically under the rim. And you know, and they're the best at it, by the way. The Warriors are the best at it because
0: Draymond's been doing it for years. That's that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the, nobody. Yeah,
1: the, the, the Hawks don't have that like in their no. system right now. But 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 it, but I mean, but it's it's a real thing. And Quinn was and like I said earlier, Quinn was like, you got to take those shots. You got to take those shot. And and it wasn't like, oh, was awesome. right. like now now we have to cover him. But they you could see like there was a beat where they thought about do I close out or do I not close out. He made the last one, right? Well
0: and even and even then, like as much as Jamal's not a great shooter right now, if he is wide, if he's wide open and in rhythm, that's still a pretty decent shot. Even with his even with his current performance level from three, he's gonna probably make 35% of those, you would imagine wide open catch and shoots. That's not great, but as far as like your offense against Boston, this great defense, if they're gonna give you that shot. Quinn knows and send, send it with Collins. Like we all know Collins didn't have a good shooting season. There was no question. Every bit of messaging was like, John, you have to shoot this. And I know fans didn't like it when they weren't going in and I get it. But process wise, if you just do the math, that's a good shot against Boston. A wide open catch and shoot three for those guys is a good shot. So I think Quinn knows the, I think Quinn, uh, encouragingly knows the, knows the math and cares about the math and pushes it. And that's, I'm not saying you have to be, know daryl morey and everything's about numbers but like quinn does understand like the process and all that which i i find particularly encouraging
1: sure yeah just saying yeah yeah and i mean like you know Jalen's 35 percent. that's off at the rating 105 you know when when he plus plus
0: plus plus rebounds and everything else exactly
1: right Right, and 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 maybe if he's wide open, maybe it's thirty six. You know, and the sure. next thing you know, you're getting a little higher. But it, and it's but it's not necessarily whether that shot goes in or not. It's the impact it has to the way Boston has to defend. Right. Yep. A willing shooter has a lot of value. I kind of go back. I mean, first of all, like the darkest memory I have of a guy just really being ignored. You know, Andre Roberson, and during those kind of six or seven years ago, Oklahoma okay, City. See, yeah, it was absolutely it was more... a. Uh, I mean, basically a defensive player of the year type of kind of impact you know as an individual defender right And, and stuff like that but then you know i also kind of go back to you know Mike D'Antoni really tried to make Carmelo Anthony work in Houston, and the only reason it didn't work was Carmelo wasn't making was shooting like 11 percent from three or he something during the season. Yeah, and D'Antoni was like, "You still have to take those shots. You have <laughs> to. Our system does not work if you don't take those shots." And eventually, they were like, "Yeah, he's not doing it." Yeah, so I mean, Jalen's willingness. I like when I talked to Kevin. I said the progression of Jalen of going from I'm terrified to take this shot to, okay, I'll reluctantly take this shot to not. By the time we got to game five or whatever, it was like, I'm taking a shot. That's that's progression, that's development, that's improvement, that's good.
0: hundred percent agree. And it is one of those things, and this is not a sexy answer, but a lot of the stuff in a playoff context, especially if you ever have teams that are close together. And look, Boston was better than Atlanta this year. But even within a couple of those in game six, there was some shot. There was some there was some make or miss league stuff in there. Um, yep. game four, same thing. That was a winnable game if the Hawks made more shots. Um And then game you could you could also argue game three had some of that in the Hawks direction, so did game five. So back and forth, back and forth. But doing it and doing it and doing it and being willing and not hesitating, especially for support guys, like you know, Trey's gonna have to be Trey's the one that's gonna drive a lot of it, and we all know that. But when he sets up a great shot for somebody and they and they record scratch it. It hurts your offense. You have you, ha- you have to do what you're supposed to do on the floor. That includes everybody, even the support guy. And look, and they're going to play, at least right now, they have a roster where they're never going to play a, roster, a, a lineup that has less than four capable-ish shooters. Jalen's probably their worst shooter, other than Clint, obviously, and, and Onneka, but they're, they're always playing at least four guys who can shoot. They're, that's one of the good things about this Hawks roster, you could argue, is that they don't have any non-shooters on the perimeter. Jalen's the closest thing they have to that, but I firmly believe – as early as this coming season, no one will be referring to him as a non-shooter anymore. I think he'll be maybe below average from three, all those things, but like they don't have any non-shooters. Right. That's not that's not a bad place to be at offensively. And we'll talk about the defense in a second. And that yeah. all matters. It's all one big mix. And I'm, I'm unfair by making it seem like there are two different games, offensive defense, because they're not, but uh, you know, I, it stood out to me and look, not, not to put a point on it too to uh, find a point here, but, they scored at a very, very high level against a very good defense in the playoffs, and that is not
1: a small thing. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I and I think thinking about the offseason before we go to defense, yeah, a major um, impact from that, a major implication from that is, I think if they went into that Boston series and just couldn't really do anything offensively, what, Miami like Miami last year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think they're they're like we're going back to the drawing board and we're going to like. Like rework this in a huge way. We have to do that. Mm -hmm. I think coming out of the Boston series with Bay in the mix, with Bogey being healthy, with John getting some rhythm across the series, with DJ helping in game one and two. I think you're like, okay, we don't have to do anything crazy, right? We don't have to do anything crazy. We can be opportunistic and chase value and chase the right opportunity for us, and not be in a situation where like, oh my God, this is broken, and we've got to just make some big. We we have to shake it up, right? And And I hate that kind of. Mentality of like, but we gotta shake it up. Like, well, is shaking up, getting better, or just you're just changing the variables or whatever. But I think the, the main thing is that they're like, okay, we have a workable foundation on offense. We just need to, you know, get a little better, get a little more shooting, etc. And I, I think that's one reason I'm glad they got into the Boston series because I wanted that test for them to kind of for that, that to reveal what they had, what they didn't have, what they could solve, what they couldn't solve. And I think this team was seen for exactly what it is in that series. And I'm for them and for Hawks fans. I'm so glad that that is as how it played out. You know, but I think they. I think they now they go to the drawing board. They're like, we're 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 closer than I think most people think we are. Sure, we have to change. Sure, we have to mix things up. Sure, there are some limitations we have that are gonna get exposed when we get deep into the playoffs. But we don't have to go shake it up just to shake it up. We don't have to go pursue change for the sake of change. We can look at value and opportunity and let those be the priorities.
0: All right, that is it for part one of my two-part conversation with my friend Glenn Willis. If you are inclined to do so, and we definitely encourage you to do so, part two should be in your feeds shortly. If not already, please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Spotify stitcher tuning radio also we're on YouTube on the video side please follow the show on Twitter at locked on Hawks follow me on Twitter at BT Glenn as well at Willis underscore Glenn and we'll see you all next time